Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. Good day to everyone. Good to be with you today. Church history. Uh, We're still working our way through this theme, and we're probably going to be here for a while. So I do want to warn or pre-warn. years is actually how it takes. So, but I'm going to warn our listeners that uh, we're probably going to be here for a while, even though we're just doing a quote overview of church history. Very much an overview. Um, um, There is much to discuss, and today we're going to tackle the subject of the canon. Um, how the scripture was formed. Not how the one that gets shot right, at Right, not the people. one that gets shot right. at people, but how the scripture was formed. We'll talk about that a little, in, right. here in a minute. But um, how did we get the scriptures we now hold in our hands especially today? Especially the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. especially the New Testament. Um, and why does it matter? Like, It's one thing to say we have the scriptures, but why does it matter of how we got the scriptures? We think it matters that we have the scriptures and we stay true to them and we uphold them. Um, I was preaching just a couple weeks ago or a week ago or so about right. upholding the truth, the church upholding the truth, but okay, where did it come from? Why do we say right. it's so emphatically, you know, why are we so dogmatic about it? How do we it? know it's good? Right. Yeah. So that's what we want to talk about today. Um, this will probably be a two-parter, um, we hope. We'll see how it goes. Well, that's what we're saying right yeah, now. That's what we're shooting for. And we're only going to deal with one point. We have four what, four points here? Yeah, for the whole thing, um, yes. And the one we're just going to deal with today is necessity, just so we give context. Um, the other three we'll do in part two will be apostolicity. Did I say that correctly? I think you did. Okay, sweet. Um, <laughs> orthodoxy and acceptability. So those will be the three we deal in part two. But part in point one in part two, one is so vast that it's going to take its own episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I ought to say that you know, all of this has come out of study and reading of of books that have been written by, about and by men about church history. But in this particular instance, on this one we're doing today, I we'll give a lot of credit to Howard Vos and his exploring church history, which we would rec- recommend. You can yeah. find that online. It's it's really an easy read, and it's not very long, and very helpful. Well, and, and um, I think it's important that we say that because we don't want to be accused of plagiarism. Not at all. No. <laughs> so we are borrowing material. I don't to help have us too many, this. if any, original ideas. So. Right. But when it's specifically someone's work, we definitely want exactly. to reference that. So the question we need to ask before we jump into necessity, what does canon mean? So we say right. that. I, I get pictures of a cannonball coming out of an actual cannon. Right. You know, and it uh, does. I mean, how many of us would, time, would think know. of it in the context of, right. say, the New Testament? Um, they didn't have cannons back then. Right. But um, the word cannon is derived from a word uh, or related to a word that meant read, R-E-E-D. A reed was a long – well, if you've ever looked in a marsh somewhere around right. a, um, a pond – you might see cattails on the end of a reed, and those were stiff, and they could be cut a certain length and used to measure, so they became a standard of measure. The word canon came to mean uh, standard or rule, like a yardstick, except, you know, it could be something like that and call it a, a canon. So when we say the canon, in particular the New Testament canon, we're talking about that which we measure that determines the scriptures we read. Right. This is our standard of 
of uh, faith and practice or of, What's of theological and belief. Okay, yeah. And so uh, the first person to Even use, as if it means the, the actual books themselves, right. not just the truth within, which is important in what we're going right. to talk about, right. but the actual books that were chosen right. themselves. Exactly. Okay. Now, the first person to use that term, and you think about it, we, Jesus left in about 33, 34, 35. He left and went back to heaven. The church, Pentecost came. Uh, the church was formed through missionary work by Paul and Peter and others, and apostles, and uh, letters were written, churches established. And uh, as so we're talking about the first century, John wrote the, the Gospel of John, Revelation, those books somewhere in the last decade of the first century, right. in the 90s, close to 100. So, okay, 367, the fourth century, a fellow by the name of Athanasius, who was an elder, wrote a festal letter. And he referred to the New Testament canon. That was the first time that we know that it popped up. This that phrase it came up in reference to the gone. New Testament. I mean, obviously, they probably had already been talking about it. Okay, so what we're saying by then, by 367, which is approaching the end of the fourth century, getting close right. to the beginning of what we call the Dark Ages, the Middle right. Ages, medieval times, this has now become nomenclature. Um, some people believe Vos brings this out. He says some people believe that the New Testament canon was decided hastily by a group of church leaders uh, late one summer afternoon, like at a barbecue or something. Yeah, I was going to say, they're just sitting around, just yeah, kind of shooting the, the breeze, hey, having you know, a great we gotta time. we've got to come up with something here. Yeah, no, yeah. That's not how it happened. Actually, it happened over hundreds of years, over right. decades and decades, and over about four centuries. So um, so what what then did you give away the first word? I did. I already uh, said it. Okay. Yeah, necessity. necessity. We're, we why, can jump right in if you so Why desire. was it necessary to even develop a New Testament canon? Why would our church forefathers, our Christian so, forefathers? So we're answering today in this episode, part one of New Testament canon. Right. We are answering, basically saying how the New Testament canon was formed, and we're just going to deal with the why. Yeah, why? The necessity why answers the why um, question. Okay. Yeah. Actually, the other things that we mentioned later in our next podcast, apostolicity, orthodoxy, acceptability, will sort of flow out of these things. Okay. So what is the process? What made it necessary to have the New Testament canon? Well, one of the first things that made it necessary was just the death of the first century witnesses. If you think about it, you remember Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about uh, he was seen by… I remember now. Peter, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was seen by Peter. And he said he was seen by James, others, and John, and then uh, and then a bunch of other people, 500 uh, at once, of whom most are still alive. Right. Paul said, and that's that's incredible me. when you think about that. You think about Jesus' death, his ascension up into heaven, and then obviously Pentecost. And you have all these people, even a few years later after some of the apostles had died, still remember this. Right. So, but now uh, what you're saying, they're it gone. It was that close, but they're yeah, gone. They're gone. Okay. Uh, maybe. By the year 100, A.D. 100, there might have been one or two. It's kind of like we think about uh, uh, World War II fighters. You know, there's, there's one or two left, maybe. Right. Maybe. Well, kind of like that. But now they're gone. Well, you you know, it's their- interesting. You look at churches that have been around for any time period. And I think of our church, Westwood Church. It used to be called 12th Avenue Baptist Church. And then it moved to where our current location is at. On the west side. On the west side. And and what's crazy about it, which nobody gets that when we say it, and we won't go into it, but the west side of our town of Evansville, the the amount of people that are left over from that time period are almost 12th all Avenue. Yeah. 
and it's fascinating to talk with him. Oh, I remember, you know, and 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 you, and you think back. That's literally what we're talking about. We're talking about people who remember Pentecost, who remember Christ's ascension and going. Who out. actually had the letters of the letters of the apostles read to them in their church services, and they're gone. They're gone. Yeah. So you're okay, saying what? they're gone. So now none of these people can firsthand give account. We don't have this. firsthand witnesses. Okay. Firsthand hearers of New Testament letters, what we call New Testament letters of apostolic, apostolic less. Excuse me, apostolic hey, I'm letters. With you. You, you got me all messed <laughs> up here. And uh, so, so we don't have that. So there's a need now. What's New Testament? What is right. Scripture? We know what the Old Testament is. Yeah. What about the New Testament? Then. The scriptures themselves, the New Testament writers, apostles, Paul in particular, called for the reading of scripture. So, so we not only have the death of first century witnesses, now we have this call in scripture of reading the word out loud yeah. as, in a service and as a part of our worship. Actually, command from Paul, and then what became now this sense of necessity for scripture reading and preaching. Worship. Well, what do we read? Read the Old Testament? What about what about these letters that right. you know Peter even referred to Paul's letters as being scripture? Right. Uh, you've got this going round. So so now there's some question. Now with that question, there were also some churches. There were churches who would read certain apostolic letters a, a, as scripture. So, but but there's not clarity there. Right. Now we're moving. There's away not from a consensus. The, is basically what we're looking. We're at. moving away from the first century. And there's that question. That's number two. Number three is there were out there those what we call canon creators uh, with false motives. One so, of those, so you're talking about in a negative sense, there is starting to be these people, this group of people, well, maybe instance, individuals who are saying, yeah. this is scripture. There was a fellow by the name of Marcion, and he wanted a canon that held up his particular views. He, he rejected oh, the Oh, that ult- sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing new in the sun, right? Right, right. Uh, which is, in itself is a need for a, a, can, a New Testament canon. Right. But, so Marcion rejected the Old Testament scriptures. Hmm. He, uh, as if I recall correctly, I don't have a note on this, but uh, I think he accepted the writings of Paul. Do well, you know got, why he accepted the writings of Paul? I've dealt with cults that do that. They, yeah, but, they just mean, accept Paul. But why? Yeah. But why? Exactly. And here's the why. That, I mean, okay. yes. Okay. Uh, uh, that is the question. Why? Okay. Okay. So we don't really know. No. I, well, I think he did that because it fit his particular uh, theological system, his teaching system. And there were others. So, and we'll talk about a couple of others in another point, sub point here in a minute. So, so you have this, uh, if that's going on, the church at large, churches all over with elders, pastors, bishops, et cetera, are thinking, Okay, how do we combat this? How do we say he's wrong? Is he right? Is it, you know, we have to have something that the church generally agrees is right. New Testament. Well, it's kind of like in America, we're, we're built upon the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. These are the things by which we work from. If that is not what we want anymore, then it needs to, by law, be changed. And that's not what we're talking about here, though. We're talking about something that is absolute truth, and you have these guys coming along saying, well, this is true and this is not. Yeah. Okay, but how can we say that? And so what you're saying, there became almost this practical need, to, it necessitated a, a driving force to create a canon, something we were measured by. 
You know, is that is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. There's a there's a parallel, and we need to be careful of this because they're not the same. They're not inspired like like our, you take our Constitution. Our right. founders knew they wanted to pass something on that would be a lasting standard, right? By which we were governed, which has given freedom to many people. By the that way, that wouldn't be left right. up to a president right. or a, or a senate or a because if it a, had a Congress, I'm just going to use this as an example. We wouldn't be um, having the African American culture in any way having the say that they say have now. Exactly. So this we have a standard. So they established a standard, <laughs> okay. and that was the Constitution. And uh, so later generations, and that's when you know the famous so-called quote of Benjamin Franklin was asked by the lady after they dismissed one time. She said, "Well, Mr. Franklin, what have you given us?" He said, "Well, a republic if you can keep it." Right. Well, the whole idea of the Constitution was to be able to keep it. So let's. The parallel here is that. What did the New Testament say, writers say, and how does how do we know what they said, and what is it? So, so it can't just believe up to one or maybe multiple arbiters of truth. Funny how that's kind of something we're dealing with in our culture now is that this idea that you know somebody can be the arbiter of truth, but what we're saying is we need to have something outside of that. Yeah. Okay. Now then there, there were some a couple of heresies that were making inroads. This is number four. Okay. Uh, one of those was Gnosticism, and if you, which Paul deals with significantly. In some. some he, of his what writer. he deals with is the the incipient or the the beginnings of Gnosticism. John does the same thing. As it Paul pertains to Paul in Colossians, more, okay. more particularly, John yeah. does in First John, and um, but it's not full blown Gnosticism. That doesn't come to later, but yes, it's the beginnings of it, and also Montanism. Uh, Montanism. Montanists believed in continuing revelation. Ah, have we heard oh, that before? Okay, yeah. Yeah, we've actually talked about that. Gnostics believed in a special knowledge that they had, and that if you became a, a Gnostic, if you had that special knowledge, then you were sort of the, the insider, the one who you could be saved by having a special knowledge. Well, this this reeks of a favoritism, of of a lack of clarity. You know, both of these. What? Do we have a New Testament word, a New Covenant word that is clear, that tells us what the truth is? Is there a place where it stopped? You know, by this time, most of the church believed that revelation had ceased. It's just, for the most what part. What makes you say that? Well, you, you find it out in a writer's view to church fathers. Okay. Yeah. They did, most, if you look at Orthodox church fathers, they, they didn't believe we were continuing to get revelation. Did they give a reason for that? Uh, that was just a general consensus. Would it have been because but, we, the apostles are now ceasing? It, well, there was a general belief. We'll get into this when we talk about apostolicity next time. But there was a general belief that God spoke through the apostles and close associates. And while there were some who felt maybe some other, you know, the beginnings of apostolic secessionism, continuationism, that sort of thing. But basically, the Lord spoke. The apostles had a special office, a revelatory office. That was just a, a general understanding. It wasn't 100% true, but it was it was Yeah, widely, no, 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 it makes sense. It was widely just, held. Yeah, just digging into that a little bit, yeah. So, therefore, if we've got these heresies making inroads, what do we have? What standard of truth do we have to combat this? Um, number five, uh, there were also apocryphal works out there. Uh, there was one well, called you, the you even said they were increasing. I mean, yes, there okay. were. Shepherd of Hermas is one, which is 
I mean, it's pretty solid for the most part. But then, so, so when you say apocryphal, what do you mean by that? Well, when we say apocryphal, we mean something other than kind of beside the New Testament, but not the New Testament, okay. other than the okay. New Testament. So these are so additional apocryphal writings. apocryphal in the sense then that they weren't apostolic. Okay, so they're additional writings outside of apostolic authorship. Yeah, some of them were obviously bad. They were obviously apocryphal. You, you have one, and I can't remember the name of the particular letter, but it was about uh, the life of Jesus before he was 12. <laughs> There's a story in one of him picking up a a dead bird, and it comes back to life in his hand and flies away. You know, these just sound fishy. And, and there are other parts of apocryphal that so sound fishy. It's almost like we're watching a superhero movie, and these yeah, weird, thi- weird things start happening when they're children, and then they mature, and, and now they're this you know mature superhero. That's not what we're talking about. Exactly. And if you look at the four Gospels, that. They obviously didn't see the need. The Spirit of God didn't lead them to write about Jesus before he was 12, except his birth. Right. Uh, and there are no stories of him being some kind of – Well, we have the, the situation where he, at the temple he yeah, gets separated from his family. Yeah. So um, with that coming, there needs to be some decision made, some understanding of what is apocryphal and what isn't, mm. what is genuine. Finally, um, persecution. When we talked about that in our other podcast, we talked about the fact that per- there was persecution was fairly regular. It was on again, off again, but I mean, there was regular persecution up until the time of Constantine. Now, Constantine comes along at about 325, mm-hmm. just a ballpark figure. So, so we're looking at almost 300 years after the death of Christ. But in that 300 years, especially since Paul and Peter, there had been persecution. And um, Diocletian comes along around the year 300. This is a little bit before the Nicene. Who's Diocletian? Diocletian was a ruler, an emperor. Okay. And he was a persecutor of the church. If you About 303. And um, the um, Constantine will come along just a little later. The Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicene yep. Creed, comes along at 325. To give you some perspective there. So, so uh, Diocletian is burning sacred books and is persecuting, sometimes killing those who uh, who hold, who have them. Well, that brings up a question. Let's say I have something that I call Scripture. I have, maybe I have some letters of Paul. Right. I have, I have the Gospels. And the soldiers come and knock on my door, or they knock on our church, wherever we're meeting. And they come in, what is this? Well, these are things we read in our worship. The question comes up, what's worth dying for? Hmm. What's real? What is, what is it I'm, I'm standing on and standing for and willing to give my life for? That's yeah, pretty important. It, Definition becomes pretty important. What, what's, what's fascinating to me, and, and I think this is a principle just in culture and societies across millennia, is that People will die for something that has been codified. You, you know what I'm saying? That's Which is been clear. Clear, yeah. So take, for instance, obviously our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, the Bill of Rights. All, all of those things, you look at that and you go, there's not a lot of people die for that. 
Well, here's the thing. They believe that what it does and what it accomplishes is worth right. dying for. So what you're saying is, is with the scriptures, they had kind of this hodgepodge of stuff. They had. And now they're being asked. We'll talk a little more about that. Yeah, but podcast. I'm just saying. But, but now, yes. they're now they're being asked, you know, what is this stuff? And you've got to be like, well, do I really want to die for this? Well, this is our Bible. When, you know, <laughs> right. Bible is even not necessarily a word used. This is our scriptures. This is our guide for worship. This is right. our. No. They need to know. You've got elders of churches, leaders. Now, now you're at the point where you have bishops over groups of churches, and they're saying, "We stand for this. What is this? Hmm. What are we talking about? Let's 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 define this." Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So it wasn't like if you guys got together and said, oh, "That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah, right. that's good. That sounds like scripture." Oh, and you know, um, yeah, that's yeah. Let's put that one in. This is happening out of necessity over a period of about 300 years. Mm. So, so, and we're obviously coming to a close of our time here, but I want to ask the question in regards to this idea of necessity. Why is it important for us to understand this for us today? Like, for us today, as we pick up our Bible and we read it, why is it important for us to understand this aspect of canon? Why do we need to understand this aspect of it? Well, we, we're going to run into two or th- one or two things. One is just the normal question that comes to the human mind, human heart. How can I trust this? Mm-hmm. How do I know this is Scripture? Who says? I'm sure if everybody's honest, they've asked that question. The other thing comes up, you have, like in the Catholic Church, you have an Apocrypha, and there are some Apocryphal books that the Catholic Church includes in their studies, worship, etc. So, why and why do we not? Those questions come up. I think it's a, it's a thinking question and it's a valid question for us to say: Where did we get this that we call New Testament scripture? We know that Jewish authorities and Jewish leaders decided at a certain point what was Old Testament. We know that there were two or three books that were questionable. We'll talk about questionable books in the New Testament, but we know that ultimately there was agreement on these um, books. Is it 39? Help me. Yeah. 39 books. 39 and 27 is 66. So they decided. How do we have that in the New Testament? How do we, we, if we're supposed to have a new covenant, if we're living under a new covenant with a, with a gospel that is the fulfillment of an old covenant, how do we know? And I think this answers the question. This is a very, very scant overview. Yeah, no, of the absolutely. Process, but it certainly gives us the idea. Well, I do think it builds our confidence in the fact that we're not holding something that is just some ideas that people thought would be great to put together. Yeah. Yeah. Some guy, some emperor said, this is the Bible. Well, there was intentionality. There, there was. was purposeful intentionality in which we said, this due is to, why. Due to necessity. Yeah. Genuine necessity. Well, this has been good, and we're going to jump into the other three points, hopefully in part two. And so join us. And we look forward to hey, talking about Hey, maybe before you get with us next time, you can get Rose's book, Exploring Church History. Absolutely. <laughs> well, have a great day. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org, where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living. 
or on Twitter, at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. Music